Good morning, chefs. I refer to everybody as chef because it's a sign of respect. You're the most excellent chef in the United States. What are you doing here? I want to fix this place. No one's asking you to. Delicious or impressive? Delicious is impressive. Where? What do you think? It's redundant and white, just like you. podcast. I am Rich Herrera. I'm a food writer here at Jack's Restaurant Reviews, and this is my premiere episode. And for my premiere episode, I'm happy to have Chef Dennis Chan here with me uh, from Blue Bamboo. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. So uh, this is my first episode, and so I kind of want to describe what is the Eat Your Content podcast. So what Eat Your Content podcast is, is, you know, Food TV is is getting its uh, is spotlight now. There's food competitions everywhere you see, and there's food shows and dramas and comedies. So the Eat Your Content podcast is really it really lives where uh, food and uh, content really kind of intersect. So uh, whether it's um, a viral video or a acclaimed show or a cooking competition that's really popular among the the, the masses. Uh, I want to talk about those. So uh, what we're doing here is we're going to talk about The Bear. Uh, the Bear is a show on Hulu. Um, it came out, it, I don't know, did you see a lot of ads for this coming out in June? Not at all. Not this, at all. Yeah, this really snuck in, I think, under the radar. Um, I, I, I didn't really see a whole lot of ads for it until well after its premiere in June. Um, did you Did you know about the show before I talked to you about it? Not at all. You know, I, I think after uh, the show was such a hit and developed such a following, they said, oh, this show really has legs. Let's start advertising it now. And, um, and then that's when I had heard people talking about it. You know, the morning shows I would listen to, they would say, oh, and there's this great show on Hulu called The Bear. And then the actors were being interviewed. And, you know, it kind of, like you said, it, it kind of crept up on us. And um, I, I was excited to see it, but then I, um, you know, after after you told me about it, I said, oh, well, maybe I really do need to see it. And so, um, so I binge watched it, and then I've watched several of the episodes more than once now. So Yeah, I've watched it a couple of times. Like, like I said, it came out in June of 2022, um, really just snuck under everybody's radar, and I, I think I became aware of it around October, once it started becoming... Um, more in the public consciousness and everybody was starting to talk about it. I listened to some pods about it and I was like, wow, this must be some kind of show. So I started watching it and I binged it in like two days. It was, it was so great. Uh, so, so the bear, so the bear is about a show that it's about this guy named uh, Carmi Barzato, Carmen Barzato. Uh, he inherits a restaurant from his brother. His brother passed away of, of which we don't know right away what all is going on. And it's the, the struggle of him. He comes from a – Chef Bear comes from a, a fine dining restaurant background, and he's coming into to really a mess of a restaurant, right? He's, his brother ran it, but it's it's those neighborhood dives that regulars love, but behind the scenes, it's it's kind of kind of going crazy. So it shows the the um, struggles he has with, with running a restaurant in the middle of it. Um, 
and, and, and trying to get to know everybody and trying to understand where everybody's coming from. So uh, the creator showrunner for the show is Chris Dorr and Joanna Kahlo, and the writers are, is Chris Darrow and, and Joseph Adcock. So overall, what, what are your overall thoughts of the show? What, what did you think watching it kind of from beginning to end in the, in the days you binged it? Well, it's, it's a very well done show, very well researched. Um, you can tell that all the actors did their parts in uh, researching what characters would do in those roles um, because it's very believable. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a well done thing. They even, and I don't know if they, I think some of the scenes were shot in a real restaurant operating and then some were shot in on a set but even on, in the set they had um the burn marks from where the steam would would burn on the on the steel on the wall and they they made it look really authentic they paid a lot of attention to detail yeah so the the pilot episode was filmed in an actual restaurant and then the rest of the episodes were built on a set but they made the set into an actual working kitchen like they could have ran a restaurant out of that set, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was really really well done. Uh, let's run down the characters real quick. So we have the main character is uh, Carmen Berzado, uh, hence the bear. It took me a minute to figure that one out. Uh, the Berzado is is Carmen. He's played by Jeremy Allen White. You may have seen him from Shameless. I, I did not watch Shameless, so to me, uh, Jeremy Allen White, I, I I haven't seen him in a lot of things, but he was great. He was great. Um, Sydney is played by, and I'm going to screw this name up, Ayo Edabiri, I think. Uh, again, a newcomer. I haven't seen her before. She plays kind of the uh, new chef coming in, the audience surrogate coming into this whole crazy situation um, with new eyes. And then you have Richie. He's played by uh, Eben Moss Bachrock, I think is his last name. He plays Carmen's um, cousin. Well, they call each other cousin, which is which I thought was really endearing. They, they keep calling each other cousin. He's not really a cousin. He's his it's Carmi's brother's best friend, right? That's been running the restaurant this whole time. And then you have Sugar, played by Abby Elliott. That's uh, Carmi's sister, uh, Sugar. She's played by Chris Elliott's daughter, which I didn't know he, he had a kid. And um, she was on SNL for a while. Um, and then you have newcomer Lionel Boyce um, that is playing the character of Marcus. He's kind of the, the uh, pastry chef there. And then Tina, played great by uh, Lisa Colenzias. Um, so she's been in a, in a bunch of stuff, a couple of Law & Order episodes. So what did you think of the cast? How did, how did they interact in the kitchen uh, in terms of, of how they interacted and, and that type of thing? Well, why I think that it was cast perfectly for the show is it represents a real kitchen. I mean, you know, there, there were days way back in the day when um, a kitchen, a brigade was all male, and it's not that way anymore. And um, the, the way that the kitchens are staffed now, it's diver- very diverse. You have people from all backgrounds, and uh, somehow they have a passion for food that um, really that's their bond that keeps them all together. And, uh, you know, that, I think it was well cast. Um, Carm um, is, he looks the part of a chef. He even moves the part of a chef. You know, in some of the scenes, he's walking around and you see his posture. And, you know, chefs tend to hunch over a lot because we're hunched over stoves all the time. And that's yeah. just the posture that we know. And he picked that up and was able to replicate that. Um, 
the you know the other thing is every person in a kitchen has a nickname um and you know the chef may not know exactly what the nickname is um until they work with the guy for a while but then everyone has a nickname um, back in the days when i was in culinary school and i worked in boston um everyone in the kitchen had a nickname and so we know each other by our nicknames so um you know and that it's it's that way there too you know yeah i, I liked how um when Car Carmi comes in, you know, he comes in and he calls everybody chef, right? It's a sign of, he says, it's a sign of respect to call everybody chef. But Tina was like, kept calling him Jeff instead of chef, just kind of, kind of being smart alecky about it. And I thought it was awesome. And that kind of became his name, uh, Jeff, you know, in, in the show. So I, I thought that was uh, funny with, with all that that was going on. So let's break down the, the episodes. There are uh, eight episodes total. And they're about 30 minutes a piece. I don't think one, I think the last episode was about 40 minutes. So it's a really quick binge if, we're, uh, if you're looking to, to kind of binge this over the weekend. It's a, it's a great, uh, great one to do. So before we get into the episodes, I do want to say spoiler alert. If you haven't watched The Bear yet, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the plot. And we're going to be talking about things that happen. And if you want to go into this show completely ignorant of what's going on, um, I don't know. I guess you got to turn the pot off because we're going to be talking about it the rest of the time. But come it did back, have, pause us and come back to us. Yeah, pause it, pause it, and come back in about I don't know an hour and a half or so. But uh, I don't know six months though. I feel like spoiler warning should be, you know, fair game by by six months. What's your what's your personal timeline on spoiler warnings? How how long uh, do you go before you're like, you know what, it's not a spoiler warning anymore? Yeah, six months is fair. <laughs> Six months seems fair. So spoiler warning, we're going to get into it. So the first episode uh, is titled System, and you really get into it. I mean, from, from the from the get-go, you have this kind of weird dream sequence of uh, Carmen seeing a bear in the middle of a Chicago bridge. Don't, don't really know what all that's about at the, at the very beginning. But then he, he wakes up from that dream, and, he, and he's right into it. He's, he's already working at his brother's restaurant. We don't know how he got it or, or why he got it yet, and it's just going, going in there. Um, and then Sydney comes in and says, "Hey, I'm 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 your stage. What is that? Have Have you ever had that in your kitchen? Do you do you do that? Did you do that as a chef coming up in in the ranks? Absolutely. Um, and not only did I stage. Well, we we accept stages here from our local culinary school, and um, anyone who really wants to learn what it's like to work in a professional kitchen." We'll take them on as a stage. But a stage is basically you go into work and you work uh, to learn what that kitchen is like. And um, usually it's unpaid. And usually you learn a lot from a chef or from those people that work in the kitchen. And um, you, you kind of see how the pace of, of, that, of that work environment is. And um, so I went and staged in um, two places when I was in culinary school just so that I could try to land an internship. And that's really a lot like what Sydney uh, did in this show too, is that she went to stage so that she could get a job and, you know, lo and behold, she got the, um, the, the job. But um, you go in, you show them what you have and what you do, how you do things. They look, they watch your speed, they see how you interact with the others in the kitchen, 
and um, and then you know generally they um, give you an offer. But when I staged in New York, I staged at a place called Quilties, and Quilties was run by uh, a chef that had worked at um, with Bobby Flay for a little while. And so you know New York restaurants, you have to be fast, you have to be accurate, and um, uh, the chef there. Um, asked me to come and stage. So I took the train down from the school. It was an hour and a half ride down from the school. Then I went to spend the day with them. And then uh, in the kitchen, uh, she had me peel peas and you know, uh, peel potatoes and um, put a couple of things together. And then she had me make a salad um, during dinner service. And um, you know, it, it was a, it was the kind of restaurant that I don't want to uh, fast forward too much, but it was the kind of restaurant that um, that uh, Carmi worked at in New York City, and so, you know, there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of belittling, there's a lot of um, that type of behavior um, toward everyone else that works in the kitchen, and. Um, you know, I was making salads, right, that night. Well, every salad you had to make in a clean, brand-new bowl. So you would have to make the salads, you have to run, clean them out, and then come back and make more salads. It's uh, fast-paced. So um, that chef, I ended up, um, you know, because I was staging at two places at the same time, she wasn't sure she wanted to offer me the internship. So she waited and then in the meantime, I staged at a place in Boston called Blue Ginger. And um, there, the chef, you know, right away, he was like, can you start, like, tomorrow after I had staged there? And I said, no, my internship doesn't start for another two months. He's like, if you can come earlier, come earlier, you know. So, of course, you know, over the course of, you know, three days, um, he made me an offer and the other chef kind of dragged her feet and um, she made me come down a few times to the city just to interview and that very last time she said I'm going to go ahead and make you the offer um, to be our intern and mind you this is a, for a free internship you know they don't pay you while you're on an internship you just go and work the whole time so it's like an extended stage and um so I, uh, I I asked for a couple of days because I knew that the the other thing at Blue Ginger was coming, and I ended up turning her down so that I could work in Boston. And um, I, you know, in the end, I'm glad I did because I that was the type of work environment where I could really learn. Where he just gave me an assignment and he said, "Go to the pantry and find whatever and, and put it together for staff meal." And um, and it, it really helped me in the end. So, um, but that's what a stage is. Long story for what a stage is. You go <laughs> no, that's, that's learn these kitchens. Yeah, that's great. So, staging essentially is is like a job tryout. It's like an extended job interview, right? Yeah. So, generally unpaid, of course, um, and not really for an extended period of time. It's really just to get you in there and and see if you can hack it. And then if you can't, they're like you're you're out right and then so you move from one so you try out in an unpaid position to move into another unpaid position which is an insert that's 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 interesting so you go you could go a long time without seeing any kind of paycheck right as, as a stage and then as an intern so they'll tell you you're not good enough 
So, so pretty accurate in this first episode, then, right? With with Sydney coming in as, and stodging for, it doesn't say how many days, but I, I imagine it's only it was only a few days, and then she comes in as like, look, I, I want to get paid, I, I, and she's and it's interesting when when Carmi was looking over her resume and says, you've been to some big guns, you've been to Alinea, and it named off a couple of really other high end restaurants in Chicago. Um, and he says, "What's UPS? <laughs> is that is that a restaurant?" Yeah. And it's like, "No, no, no, United Parcel Service." <laughs> I was like, uh, "Oh, that's so funny." You know, I think that was intentionally written in there because a lot of people who work the restaurant business they have to work somewhere else, you know, just to make ends meet while they're working the restaurant business because, um, you know, oftentimes it's un- underappreciated, and um, you know, it show- that little bit may seem unintentional, but it really um, paints a picture of what it's like to work in a restaurant. Yeah. So it was interesting. Carmi said, you, you worked at all these big name restaurants. What are you doing here? And literally, what is my dump? What are you doing here in this dump? Why do you want to come to this little sandwich shop in the middle of Chicago? And she said, I want to learn under you. It's like, so, so immediately, like, we don't know Carmi's pedigree coming to this point, but Sydney really sets that up and says, you're, you know, and then we come to find out later in later episodes, he was like nominated as best new chef uh, for a James Beard award. So we start to see, yeah. So we start to see all these uh, accolades that he was up for. And then to really come down to, I don't want to say come down to the level, but to come from where he was to just essentially running a neighborhood sandwich shop and, and bringing on Sydney. So, and, and then we get all the introduction, all of the characters, this motley crew of people that just are, kind of running this this uh kitchen by the seat of their pants right so for the last couple of years it was uh richie that was running the place right which is the the cousin quote-unquote cousin uh running this whole joint so what did you think of the kind of the frenetic hectic um portrayal of of coming into episode one just hitting the ground running well it's how it's how a lot of restaurants run i mean without the order and without the um systems of um of way things are done and um you know a lot of times even we get new line cooks here at blue bamboo we'll we'll say well where's your prep where's your you know it's the french word for it is mise en place where's your mise en place and uh, i think they touch on that in the show too but um you know it's just your prep you want to be ready for whatever happens in the shift yeah, so and that's something that Carmi's trying to do when he comes on, right? He's trying to establish a system because there is none when we're everybody's just doing their own thing, and, and Richie is like, "This is the system we've had, and, and it works. Don't try to mess up our system." So, he, so he starts with little things like organizing the spice rack, right? And Richie's like, "Where's the? I can't find the chili. Where is it? It's right here, where it's labeled chili, right?" So you start to see some of these some of these changes happening. But that first episode just introduces us all to the characters, and you kind of see where everybody's coming from. I think Marcus comes in as a, as a newcomer actor, and I think his overall growth in the show was just really neat to watch. But he starts off as they're, he's making the loaves by hand, right? And and he's not doing it right. So Carmi shows him how to do it. And then at the end says, see, see how it came out? And, and Mark's like, yeah, no, that's, that's great. And then he starts to learn, right? And that's what you want to see as, as a chef running a restaurant, right? You want to see somebody that, that you can mold and train. I think that um, the writing in it is so clever because it really sets up these characters for season two. And yeah. you know, 
makes all of us not be able to wait for season two and, and see what what's going to go on with all these characters. Yep. So episode one establishes the, the characters, so we move right into episode two, entitled Hands. And this was really interesting. I mean, they really nailed it with the guest star cameos on here. Like, in, in this one, we, we get a flashback of Carmi's New York um, chef upbringing, so to speak, and, and the guest chef, or the guest uh, star cameoing is Joel McHale, and he plays this just incredibly abusive chef. Why? Chef, I'm sorry, it got too hot. Why? It did cool down. Why? But it was my fault. Go. Fire 19 chefs. Hey! Hold on 17 chefs. Hey! Why do you hire f***ing idiots? Do you like working with f***ing idiots? I'll do better. Say yes, chef. Yes, chef. Can you not handle this? Is it too much for you? Answer me. I can handle it. I can handle it, chef. I can handle it, chef. 12, 10, 36. Fire, 18, Don't f*** with my town. 3, 52, 14. Why are you serving broken sauces? Why? I get it. You have a short man's complex. You can barely reach over this table right is this why you have the tattoos and your cool little scars and you go out and you take your smoke breaks it's fun isn't it but here's the thing you're terrible at this you're no good at it go faster mother keep going faster why are you so slow why are you so slow why you think you're so tough yeah why don't you say this say yes chef i'm so tough yes chef i'm so tough say f-ing yes chef i'm so tough yes chef i'm so tough you are not tough you are bull you are talentless say f-ing hands hands you should be dead just incredibly abusive and and the kitchen is is run like a military and it's very clean and it's very clinical looking and he just rakes him over the coals about um the uh, another sh- the saucier chef i'm guessing uh just breaking her sauce and just berates him for i don't know probably two three minutes straight just telling him how how awful he is and you shouldn't be doing this and you have a short person complex and you can barely reach over this table i mean it was the f-bombs per hour in this two minute segment was was insane but uh, how did you what's that (laughs) it took me back oh did it Uh, i was about to ask you like did did that kind of give you a little bit of of flashbacks of your own in 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 fine dining did it kind of give you was it hard to watch was it yeah. kind of watching your like and you had to pause it or something and take a break i, I think i i dropped a few f-bombs a couple of days after that too <laughs> which i normally don't do but um yeah that that episode um you know just in the first scene where uh carmy's cleaning He's really, like, he's getting down there. You can imagine him scrubbing with a little toothbrush. It's so detailed cleaning. Um, that's something that all high-end restaurants do. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's that attention to detail that they're showing in that scene. And, um, you know, and, and the dedication that the chefs have because he keeps going back there because he loves food and he loves um, he loves, he's proud of the product that he puts out when he works in that environment. And um, it, it's, that's, that's, um, I think that's touched on in the story, but it's, uh, and he says it, but it kind of shows, um, it kind of f- foreshadows what the, um, where the show's going to end up later on. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about Joel McHale for a second, because I think you mentioned earlier that you kind of came up in some belittling and, uh, and, and abusive kitchens, right? And, and unfortunately, 
that that tends to be the stereotype of from outsiders looking in. And then you have shows like Hell's Kitchen where Gordon Ramsay kind of makes it entertainment, right? And we all kind of laugh at that sort of type of abuse. But this one was was not funny. It was no laughing matter in this one. Um, tell me about your times when you when you grew up that way or you, you came up that way. How did you, how did you deal with that? How did you get past it's, it and not and with your soul you, intact? You you got to know that it's not you. They want it. They make. The chefs in control are the ones that make it about you, but it really isn't about you. And um, if you learn from whatever they're trying to tell you and you don't do it again, then you know that you're never going to get belittled again for the same thing. Um, it's those who don't, you know, who keep not learning from the same thing over and over again that are going to end up really emotionally scarred from, uh, from that. So advice to, to anybody wanting to get in the kitchen for the glamour of it all, <laughs> you might not want to do that if you don't have thick skin and, and can learn from your mistakes quickly. Well, like immediately. Really, you know, really, in the end, um, if your chef or if your um, kitchen manager cares about you, they may belittle you, but they know that in the end, they would still do anything for you, you know, yeah. so... And I think they, you know, they don't develop that part of the story because it's not as, as uh, fun to watch. But I, I think you see Carmi, kind of move through those stages. Like he, he is, he is kind of a jerk later on, but then he realizes, you know, I was a jerk, and then, and then goes back to what I did was not okay. So you do see those ebbs and flows, I think, in the kitchen. But Jeff, definitely with the Joel McHale guest starring appearance yeah it's led to believe he's like that all the time and it was an intense scene it was very intense yeah very 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 intense so we also learn how michael died so michael is the brother that that died and left the restaurant not to richie the best friend that's been running it this whole time but left it to carmy who's actually been away from the family for a couple of years um, and, and Carmi doesn't quite understand why he left him the restaurant, but he's he's taking it on. And we learn that um, that Michael that Michael died of suicide. And and unfortunately, sometimes you know, we've seen that in a, in in many high profile instances. You, you think of um, Bourdain and his situation, and you know it, it, it's interesting they took that route. Um, but you really see how that affected everybody in the show and he's not you don't even see michael hardly at all in the show he's, he's merely mentioned but you see how much his staff loved him at the restaurant um you see the the anguish that carmy goes through trying to understand it all um so yeah that was really uh, yeah it, it was really an, an intense kind of moment seeing that um come about and then you're also introduced to oliver platt Guest, guest starring recurring role as Uncle Jimmy. So Uncle Jimmy at some point lends Michael $300,000 to try to keep the restaurant afloat. And he keeps offering to buy it. And, no, and Carmen's like, no, I'm not going to buy it. So what did you think of, of Uncle Cicero, Uncle, Uncle Jimmy? Well, his role is a very real role in uh, a lot of restaurants. You know, restaurants operate at such a, um, a slim margin and – you know, there are times when you need a big infusion of cash, and there are times where you can stockpile cash. And um, it's, you know, it, it, you miss one of those where you stockpile, and then it really gets difficult for an operator. So, um, you know, they nailed it. 
they nailed that that uh, that whole idea too. A lot, um, lot of family uh, donating money essentially, or, yeah. or letting family members borrow money to keep it right. keep it running in, right. in the early days. And it, it, it you know, that part of that scene also has a kind of, um, you know, like organized lending kind of uh, theme to it too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that that uncle. Um, yeah, he, 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 he's now, I, I think he's the landlord and the money loaner, right? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's what it was, if I remember correctly. I know for sure it was the, the lender. <laughs> yeah. So he had to give them money or maybe he was just the uncle that infused the money in. And yeah. Yeah. He was just the uncle that infused okay. cash. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted the, the business. So. Mm-hmm. Whatever for whatever reason, and we don't know until we find out later, he wanted the business, and um, you know. It, yeah. So. Yeah, he wanted to buy it off of Carmi, and and I think Richie said and turn it into an Applebee's or something like that. So, yeah. so Carmi's like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna save this place, and then, and then we go right into the health inspection nightmare in in yeah. this episode, right? So the health inspector comes in and is checking things at the restaurant, finds that there was a hole in the wall, but instead of actually patching it, they stuffed it full of napkins and then just kind of, I don't know, spackled it or duct taped over it. And then somebody left their cigarettes on the stove and then that got them a C uh, on their uh, health inspector report, which was really bad. So from the outsider looking in, yes, these are these are bad, right? Patching up a hole and leaving cigarettes. But in in the world of being a restaurant owner, when you saw those scenes, what did? How bad was it for you? Did you cringe? You're like, oh man, I can't. That is insane. Well, you know, I think this this part was a little bit. Um, this is probably the hokiest part of the whole series. <laughs> those items, uh, but you know the the. Uh, any restaurant worker knows that the health inspectors can come in at any time. And no matter how well you're prepared, you're always going to get something that could be hazardous to public, uh, the public health in, in some way, whether it's a scoop that is, um, is not sticking in the bin with a handle sticking up or whether it's your out of paper towels at a hand sink um, because the roll just finished or, you know, whatever it is, there are all these little things that could happen that could give you a lower grade on your health in- inspection. And so that, that part they nailed, they nailed it. And, but, um, you know, stuffing, uh, I mean, it, 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 in that type of business, someone could have stuffed the hole just so the rats can't come out of the wall. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, uh, it, it it was a little bit it was believable but you know it was the stuff that she marked them off for was a little hokey <laughs> hokey so like a little too much played for drama a little bit yes yeah yeah, yeah. but man they they as soon as she leaves he's like i'll fix the hole right now and he's like you can fix it but i ain't coming back in 30 until another 30 days and and then carmy and and uh richie just kind of go at it and it's it you know that that was kind of funny to watch you know he came through an, an episode that's that's really intense at the beginning and then you kind of laugh here at, at towards the end with the health inspection so as there as uh this, this episode kind of starts closing out. We, Richie finds a note that's tucked away behind the lockers. He actually opens it and reads it and puts it on the desk for Carmi, but then decides 
to not do that and puts it back in the locker. Were you, were you going through the rest of these episodes? What's in the note? What's in the note? Yeah. It was significant because they made such a big deal out of it. And I think they spent about five minutes on that scene is him putting the note on the desk and then putting it back. Um, you know, I, so I, I think um, you knew it had to be something and you knew it had to be something for later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you knew it was going to be something important, but I, I was kind of like, what is in the note? And, and why didn't he tell him, you know? Yeah. So it'll, it'll come to play, obviously, later on. But I, I actually forgot about it until right towards the end of the season. I was like, oh, yeah, that note, because so much had happened between, you know, episode two and episode eight. Yeah. Uh, so so we move on to episode three, and, and this is where you start to see the the interactions with the, with the kitchen staff, uh, with kind of the supporting cast here. It's the episode three is titled Brigade. Um, so you, you have, um, it, it, it opens up. I thought it was really interesting because sugar, the sister kept implying to, to tell Carmi, you need help, go get help. And we think it's for some sort of alcohol addiction or AA or NA or something like that. And, and we find out that it's, that it's not him that's going through this. And, and you kind of, it turns that stereotype of the, the, the drug addled kitchen chef on its head a little bit. So he ends up going to an Al-Anon meeting, and again, they nailed the guest stars. Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even realize it was Molly Ringwald until I saw the credits at the end. I was like, oh, my Lord. And I rewound it and watched it again. A lot of my life, I thought I was just a victim. And because my husband drank so much, this would happen or that would happen. The short term was always so awful. I thought if I just could throw out his liquor, you know, hide whatever he was on, that would fix it. We can't curb that kind of chaos until the thinking changes, until the foundations change, until the chemistry changes. And it's difficult. I know I played a part in his abuse. And I'm really mad at myself for that. But, but, if there's anything good that came out of it, it's that it made me realize that the best thing for me to do is just to try to keep my side of the street clean. Instead of trying to fix everything, just remove myself from any situation that is or could become toxic. She just gave a great um, monologue about Al-Anon. So Al-Anon, for, for those that don't know, Al-Anon is for the family and friends of people that are alcoholics and going to AA and how to deal you know, with, with the emotional turmoil of, of somebody going through alcoholism. And man, again, just really heavy, just really heavy at the beginning. Uh, but, but what are your thoughts with the show not making Carmi the addict, but kind of making uh, – we, we come to find out that Michael really was the, the drug addict in the family and, and the one really suffering from drug addiction. Um, how did you feel about the show kind of turning that concept on its head? Well, it, um, it was done, I think, because they wanted to keep it kind of light. Even though it's a drama, they wanted to keep it a little light. And, um, you know, because there are a lot of shows about – you know, addiction and a lot of shows that are about kitchen addiction and that kind of stuff. But, but um, 
you know, it was good. They touched on it without having to dive deep into it. Yeah, I, I like how they didn't play into stereotypes, but you yeah. still really felt the gravity of what Carmi was going through seeing Michael go through his addiction uh, and then what ultimately, ultimately ended up, um, you know, him dying by suicide. And then, so before he goes to Al-Anon, he, he sets Sydney up. It almost looks like he sets Sydney up for failure, right? He, he, he brings her aside and says, hey, I want to start a French brigade. And she's like, really? With, with, with these people? <laughs> she's like, you want to start a French brigade? And then he just like takes off. And then he takes off to that Al-Anon meeting. So now Sydney's just kind of left there holding the bag, having to try to explain what a French brigade is to, to, the, to the other cooks and the chefs in the, in the restaurant. So walk us through a, chef, a, a French brigade. What is it? Why is it the, I don't know, the, the standard of, of how to run a professional kitchen? Yeah, it's the European way, um, the way that they've done it since the day of the kings. And um, really is um, when you look physically at a brigade, um, the, the person wearing the tallest hat is the chef. And then, under, and then you start seeing shorter hats, and then you start seeing, um, you know, beanies. And those are the people that have the lowest jobs in the kitchen. But um, everyone has their one job. So you have a, a saute chef, you have a grill chef, you have a, a fry chef, you have the uh, patissier, which is the baker, you have uh, the saucier, which does the saucing, you have the vegetable cook, you have, um, then you have prep and you have, you know, all. so the, everyone has their own part in the kitchen and you're responsible for that part. And um, it's, it's very different from, you know, the reality is that a lot of chefs or a lot of kitchen people have to do a lot of things. They don't just do their one thing. But in the old days, you just had a, a, a whole army that would come together and make whatever dishes the chef wanted to make. So do you, do you run kind of a French brigade type system at Blue Bamboo? Absolutely not, no. No? <laughs> Everyone does everything. Oh, okay. So everybody can fill in wherever. So you don't have a, a saucier that just makes sauces and, and that's it. Doesn't know how to do garnishes or anything like that. So, yeah. So it was, it was interesting watching her trying to break down a French brigade to uh, to the other chefs. And um, the character that plays Ibrahim, he's like, I was in a brigade once. <laughs> he talks about his time in like, I don't know, the French Foreign Legion or wherever he was in, in Sierra Leone. But um, it, it was really interesting because she's like... I, you want me to be in charge of this. I, I, I can't do this on my own. And, um, but you kind of see them coming together slowly and, and starting to appreciate, I think, the order that comes with the French Brigade, right? Because before that, it was very disorganized. Um, so have you worked in, I'm sure you've worked in a restaurant that was strictly old school French Brigade. What was that like? It's, it's just, you know, as a student in a French brigade system, you do watch what everyone else is doing just so that you can learn what they're doing and, and hopefully be able to do what they do one day. So uh, it's, it's neat to have your responsibilities, but then also be able to help others um, yeah. with, with what they do. And that's how you learn. That's how a brigade works is you learn and then you're able to move on to the next level. 
and in this episode too, you start to see Marcus's growth as the as the pastry chef, right? At first, he was just making rolls incorrectly, but then he comes across um, Carmi's notebook of recipes, and he becomes really inspired. and And then he's on this quest to make this perfect donut, right? So you start seeing him grow in his role as a pastry chef and really taking that on. and And it was interesting watching Carmi explain to him that plum sauce dish that that it takes 12 hours and three shifts or whatever to make. And, and Marcus is just enthralled in that. Um, and you got to love that scene, seeing that scene as a chef to watch people really grow into their role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, again, I think that was intentional. They accomplished a lot with Marcus in a short amount of time um, in character development, because um, I, I think he's going to be a big part of season two. Yeah, I think so, too. So that brings us to episode four, entitled Dogs. And I kind of called this the palate cleanser episode, like when you're in a, multi, in a multi-course dinner, right? You have that one course in the middle that's kind of the palate cleanser that, that um, helps you process through the rest of the episode. And this is – it's funny, right, because they um, have to cater uh, Uncle Jimmy's kid's party. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so, so the, the episode really takes place in two different places. You have uh, the catering that Richie and Carmi's doing uh, at Uncle Jimmy's house. And then you have the day, as it were, at the restaurant with with um, Sydney and the rest of the crew. So looking at this one, the, he's catering a 13 year old birthday party. They're making hot dogs. And Carmi is taking it. Uh, he, he's he's kind of chefing up hot dogs. Right. And he makes ecto cooler from scratch. Right. So he's doing a whole lot for this 13 year old kid. So um, what's your what's kind of like your catering kind of thing where you're walking into this and you're like, oh, man, I don't I really don't want to cater this. So <laughs> do, do you have any stories like that? Well, you know, he um, he's really the the way that because um, honestly, they're a sandwich restaurant, right? So doing hot dogs isn't really too much different from what a normal sandwich restaurant would do. But um, because he is this accomplished chef, rising star chef, he, um, you know, and we know that by this point in the story, um, it's just kind of um, just also setting up the scene for later that, um, that he's doing this to survive. And, you know, as a restaurateur, as a caterer, you do take on things that you do just so that you can um, help put to the bottom line. Right. And, and that's clearly what he did. And he said, I think he makes mention to that to Richie in, in the um, show. Yeah. So, so he makes the ecto cooler from, from scratch I mentioned earlier. So for, for the young kids listening that weren't uh, born and raised in the 80s, go Google Ecto Cooler, we'll come back and, and you'll understand why that was so significant for me watching that. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I, I think the hilarious part, right, this this party is just everybody's screaming, everybody's loud and then somehow Richie spills his Xanax into the Ecto Cooler yeah. right? and then it gets real quiet and all of a sudden like everybody's asleep. <laughs> so that was hilarious. That was probably the funniest scene in, in the entire episode where uh, Richie and Carmi and Jimmy are all standing there and everybody's kind of looking around and 
And uh, Jimmy's like, what's going on out here? Is it like nap time? He's like, I don't, I don't know. All the kids are laid out in the yard, right? Yeah. And then Carmi looks into the ecto cooler and sees the empty bottle of Xanax. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> and then Jimmy's like, eh, I'm good with that. And then yeah. it, it's great. And then as a result, knocks off two grand off of his $300,000 that he owes Uncle Jimmy. So, uh, again, a, a real kind of um, interesting episode in the in the middle of the series where – I think this is probably one of the more comedic episodes of, of the series. All of them are really kind of heavy, but this one really, again, just, it's a comedy. It, it was, it was very much a comedy in this, in this scene. So, uh, so we talk about episode five entitled Sheridan. So this is where we, well, we get introduced to the character of Fack earlier on, but this is where he kind of has a longer, um, a longer stay a little longer episode so fack is uh the friend of the family he's the handyman of the restaurant uh so he's the the fix it and apparently he gets paid in sandwiches i, I don't know <laughs> but that's what, uh, that's what it looks like that's what it looks like so fack is actually played by an actual chef maddie matheson uh, i don't know if you heard of him before um so he's uh, big on YouTube. He's on Vice's Munchies channel on YouTube, and he owns a few restaurants on his own. He actually served as producer on a couple of episodes and was the consultant, I guess, to make sure that everybody was doing it the way that chefs do it. And for him not to play a chef on the show, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, so the the first couple of scenes there, you have the toilet exploding and then the power outage, right? And so a bunch of terrible, horrible, bad things happening you ever had days like that at a, at, a, at your restaurant i'm sure oh it happens it happens yeah yeah you just and what that episode shows is you just plug along and do whatever it takes to to feed your customers yeah and that's what they did i mean that's that's how they solved it yeah so at, at, towards the end of the episode you you all the power's out, so they have all this food that they got to serve, but they have no gas, they have no power, everything's gone. So they set up this makeshift outdoor grill, right? Um, there's a construction site across the street. They grab some cinder blocks, some grates, and and basically kind of had an outdoor kitchen and cooked out there. And I, at first I was like, can you can you do that? Is, is that legit? Like, I, I don't know. But I thought it made for a great episode um, to where everybody pulled together and was trying to figure things out. But you also kind of realize that there were some shady things going on because we get a we get a call, a phone call from somebody named Nico. Right. We don't know who Nico is. And Nico thinks that Michael's still alive. Right. So when we find out. So Carmi hangs up the phone, asks Richie, who's this Nico guy? Richie says, don't worry about it. Come to find out. They're selling drugs behind the restaurant. And you're like, and, and Carmi, of course, is just livid. He's like, why are you doing this uh, behind my restaurant? And it was like what you're saying, you know, 20, they, they actually mentioned COVID, you know, the, the 2020 COVID shutdowns and everything. He said, do you realize what we had to do during COVID to keep this restaurant open, right? So as a restaurant owner during COVID, how difficult was it for you to, to almost keep the doors open, not that I'm sure you probably didn't sell drugs behind your restaurant, but how difficult was it? And how did you have to pivot during COVID? Well, it, you know, you all, um, with all the business advisors out there, they always tell you have six months or have three months of savings so that you can navigate if some, if a disaster happens and, you know, after the three months happen, that's, People weren't coming back out to eat, 
you know, that is a big deal. You, you did have to find other ways to bring people in. And um, for us, we were building a brand new restaurant. So, um, right, you know, that's right. It's been harder because when the bills came through, you, you had to, uh, you had to find a way to pay those. Um, and, and they were bigger than if we were just to stay put. But luckily, we built and then got some good press and we we're able to have more customers want to come give us a try. So um, that really helped. Um, it, it couldn't have been better that, uh, that when we moved when we did because that really um, helped us survive uh, better than others. But, you know, also here in Florida, we were lucky that we reopened pretty quickly after the beginning yeah. of COVID. You know, in, in some cities, they didn't reopen until uh, maybe just November of this past year. When, when I was up in Chicago, actually, no, uh, in May, when I was in Chicago this past May, there were um, restaurants that were still not fully open yet. Mm. Mm. Uh, and part of it was staffing, part of it was, you know, whatever, uh, you know, was whatever the you know, staffing also people are afraid to come out and um that kind of stuff so yeah so you, you kind of saw richie's like look we we had to do what we had to do to yeah. to make ends meet um and you know you may not approve but we're here now because of it kind of an end justifies the means kind of thing and yeah. um you know i not that i say i understand that and, and you hate to see you can kind of stand away from it. you're like that's awful. Why would you sell drugs? But, you know, he, he did what he had to do, um, unfortunately. So in that sense, so it's good to, to see, you know, blue bamboo thriving since COVID. Um, and I know you guys transitioned, you, you aren't typically a takeout delivery type restaurant, but you had to transition to that. Um, as you know, COVID was raging in 2020 for, for us in Florida for, you know, a couple of months or so when we were shut, however long we were shut down. Um, you know, so it was good to see that you guys, it, what could have easily been a statistic, and unfortunately, a lot of restaurants in, in Jacksonville fell to that statistic. You actually kept on and and kept going. Yeah, yeah, we were, we're like I said before, we're lucky to be able to do what we love. So. Yep, yep. So we moved to episode six, which is entitled "Series." Um, the this is where we actually see it opens up with a flashback of again just a killer guest, John Bernthal. Uh of of Punisher fame, of the Walking Dead fame, playing Michael. And you see this scene where they're doing a a family cookout or they're cooking uh, Sunday dinner. Um, Looks like uh, Brajol, I think, is what they were making, right? Uh, And he's telling this crazy story about meeting Bill Murray at a bar at 6.45 in the morning. We hear this f***ing voice ring out, and the voice says, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? And right in front of us, this guy, he turns around. Who was it? Bill Murray! Bill Murray! Of it's Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Oh, 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 Bill Murray! He's right there, Bill Murray actually That's says really to Richie, he cool. says to him, he goes, why are you doing that? And Richie says, because it's funny. <laughs> he says that to Bill Murray because he's funny? And Bill Murray says, no, no. No, it's not. That is not funny. He goes, give me your phone. And watching that few minute clip just three or four minutes clip i was completely enthralled and i was watching like how come we couldn't have had john bernthal more in the show but they really did a good job of of really just 
placing these guest stars in just the right moments um, as hooks for you to, to hang something on, right? Um, so thoughts on John Bernthal as, as a guest star as Michael? I, well, I think that they did that those scenes uh, well because, um, like, the, you could see the interaction with um, the siblings. So you saw Sugar in there saying, you know, like, oh, that, so what? You know, you're telling me a story about being drunk at 6 a.m. And, um, you know, like, that, that shows the development of the relationship between um, the siblings and, and how they were close and why they were close and... You know, it's um, it was part of the story development, so it was good. Yeah, and you really saw how much Michael meant to everyone in the family, right? Yeah. And and why everyone took his his death as hard as as they did, and and why they're having some difficulty kind of moving forward and moving through it. So John Bernthal, just a great performance, great performance. Um, so with all the guest stars, Joel McHale, Molly Ringwald, um, Oliver Platt, and, uh, and John Bernthal here at the end, just great, great um, guest stars overall. I think they did a really good job with that. So Sydney then, uh, we, we cut back to, to present day, and Sydney's like, hey, I, I got this new, res- or new recipe I want to try. You know, we need to open for dinner. She's, I think in an earlier episode, she was saying, look, you know we're losing money. Here's some ways we can make money. You know, open up for dinner hours. Um, you know, and all that stuff. So in, in that vein, she's like, "Hey, I got this new beef risotto dish. Will you try it out?" And he keeps kind of rebuffing her a little bit, right? And he keeps saying, "Not now, not now." But she's really eager. She's really wanting to do this. Um, and, and as with all young chefs, kind of cutting their teeth, right? You, have you ever had to tell a chef like, "Look, you got skills." But you, you're at a, you're at an eleven. I need I need you down at a five right now. Your time will come. It's just not going to be right now. Yeah. And and how do, how do you communicate that to somebody that's just like I'm I'm super eager to show my skills and and why won't you let me? Well, that you know you just have to tone that down for them. You have to do it on your own. Um, you have to offer them places that they can be at an eleven, and um, places that um, you know like do a party or something or invite some friends over and and we want to do this very special um, event for your friends and then let them showcase their thing. Um, You know, like a a good example is we had an intern um, who's still with us. Actually, she got hired on after her internship and, um, you know, very eager to do things very, so I said, okay, challenge your energy into this contest. And I had her enter a, uh, a recipe contest for chocolate chip um, cookies for uh, uh, Chips Ahoy. And um, she entered her cake in it made with Chips Ahoy pieces and ended up winning the national prize for the student category of that, uh, of that recipe contest. Wow. So, um, you know, like you, 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 that's for us, you try to challenge them in other ways. It just they set up the scene and the bear um, so that you know they she had to focus on getting the food out like her responsibilities were a little bit more but she's um, it's very real because if you're passionate about something like Marcus he still finds time to do those donuts even though he has other responsibilities in that kitchen yeah with Marcus too you find out he's actually living in the kitchen. <laughs> Yeah. And, and not because he has to, it's because like, look, I want to get here early and I want to work on my thing. Right. And yeah. and to see that passion. Um, 
start to develop within Marcus. And then with Sydney, she's like, look, I got this dish. I want to try it out. And he keeps saying, "Not, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. So she ends up taking the dish out to some random person out in the restaurant. Unbeknownst to her, it's a restaurant reviewer for the Chicago <laughs> Tribune, right? Yeah. And and that's going to play a factor in the next episode. But before we talk about that, so so at this point, you start seeing kind of um, some character development in Richie. So so Richie's since episode one was was kind of a jerk. I mean, from from the get go, he was a jerk the whole time. But then there's these little pockets, these little moments in the show, like when the the health inspection scene where him and Sydney have to go to the hardware store to to find the things to fix the hole. You know, you see some character development there with with Richie and Sydney kind of connecting. And then here you see Richie outside. He the the restaurant staff is starting to buy into this this system that Carmi is doing to try to organize and, and make everybody better. And you see Tina grow um, as a chef. She used to be kind of, you know, a, a little abrasive, right? But then her and Sydney start to to develop a rapport. Um, you start seeing Marcus grow. You start seeing Sydney grow. And then they're all starting to gel together as a team. And Richie's trying to find his place in this. And he, and he doesn't know where he fits in because he still wants to do things the old way. He still wants to do things the way Michael used to run it, and that's not the case anymore, and he's finding his his, his weird spot in here, and he says, I should just quit, and Tina's like, where are you going to go, right? His, his life has been that restaurant, and he said, this is where we're, and, and Tina basically says, this is where we're going, and you just need to get on board, so so what do you think of that scene? I, I, I thought Richie had a lot of growth in that scene there. He did, and um, it, it's the, it's it was just in line with the yo-yo part of that the whole show is that you know here he is he's buying he's starting to buy in and then um you know and then the next episode um something happens and you know he's he's uh he's questioning again so uh yeah it, it was great yeah and, um you know she, it, it, it's that was also corner turning for uh, Tina because mm-hmm. up till that point she just kind of stood back and you know like almost with her arms folded um, and not believing in anything but here she is now um, rooting for it all to work right like especially in the in the mashed potato scene right where Sydney she was making the pot- mashed potatoes Tina turns around for a minute and her her cream boils over and and she kind of gets upset, but then she turns around and she sees Sydney, you know, put in a new a new pot of of cream with herbs and all that for yeah. the potatoes. And she, yeah, she she looked at her and was like, "Why did you do that?" It's like, "Cause you know we don't have time to f around." Basically, is what she said. But in a way, it's like, "Look, I, I'm helping you. We're we're growing together." And at the end of it, Sydney and Tina are just are are friends by the end of it. And and yeah. Tina acknowledges to herself. And to the rest of it, to Richie, she's like, look, I've grown in this scene. I've grown here. My cooking is 300% better because of what we're doing here. Um, and, to, and to see that happening uh, on screen was, was really cool. Now, this is an interesting little tidbit. It, it passes by for just a, a, a second, but you see Carmi cooking a chicken piccata dish, right? And he takes and he does the cake tester hack to determine the, the yeah. temperature of the meat. Right, so he's not using a thermometer; he's using a cake tester. Have you have you ever used that cake tester hack? And can you explain oh, yeah. what that is? Uh, you know, I um, I see the first time. So yes, that's something that all chefs do. But um, when I saw my nephew, who is not a classically trained chef, all of a sudden start doing that for 
checking temperatures of, um, you know, things on the grill. It really, um, it really turned a corner for me and made me think, wow, you know, he really has come a long way from, you know, and it's just experience. Um, when someone does that, that's to make sure, because this is the most sensitive part. So you take a cake tester, stick it in the chicken, and then the temperature, if it's just warm enough, because your hands get callous. So you know that, you, you know, your hands may not feel it as, as warm as, as you do here. And um, really, uh, it shows chef expertise. Yeah. And the here that he's pointing to everybody, because we're this is audio, not video. He's pointing to his upper lip. So the cake tester hack, I, I had to Google this um, because I didn't know what this was. Like, I, you know, I take temperature with an instant read thermometer, right? Uh, and, and I see this cake tester hack and I looked it up and, I, and yeah, so you take a cake tester. It's just this really thin piece of metal, right, that you normally would stick in a cake to see if it's done. Um, but I read that the reason why you use a cake tester and not a, a instant read thermometer is it creates less of a hole in the meat for juice to run out. Absolutely. Right. So they they hit the meat uh, with the cake tester and then they put it right into the most heat sensitive part of their face, which is the upper lip. And if it's too hot, it's overdone. If it's too cold, it's underdone. But if it feels good on your lip if it's not too hot too cold like that goldilocks area then your meat is where it should be so i thought that was really interesting and i, I don't think i'm good enough to do that yet i think i still need to use the, the uh, instant read thermometer I, I graduated from uh the instant read thermometer to checking the the, the fatty part of your hand uh -huh. where if, you, if it's open it's rare and then you do the index to thumb and it's like mid rare and then so on and that muscle gets tighter that tells you, okay, your meat's a, a little. If your if your finger, if it feels like your pinky and thumb touching together, and you touch that fatty part of your thumb, and it's like really tough, that means your meat's overdone. I graduated from the meat thermometer to that. So when I saw this cake tester hack, I was like, that is really cool. I th that's interesting, and I read more about it. I thought that was really neat. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. Thought, you know, do you use that? And you're like, yeah, there, you know, a lot of experienced chefs use that. So that's great to hear. All right, so episode seven. So this is the penultimate episode right before the season finale. And episode seven was insane. Insane. So we start off, it, it you know, it's, it's Carmi coming to, the, coming to the, uh, the restaurant, right? And we're testing out the new takeout technology at this restaurant. And this was right after... So in the last episode, Sydney gave the, the risotto and beef dish to a restaurant reviewer. She didn't know that it was, and he loved it and wrote about it in the newspaper the next day. So there's this big positive review in the paper, uh, and then they get this new takeout system. What happens is somebody, probably apparently it was Sydney, forgot to turn off the pre-order function of this takeout system so the moment they flip that thing on it's spitting out tickets it's spitting out tickets non-stop and you just continue to hear the ticket machine going off and then from that moment on it's non-stop through the, through the rest of the episode it's just crazy so i don't know if you knew this but this episode was shot in a single take it's a 20-minute episode it was shot in a single take in the in the set that is looking like a kitchen but they made the set just like a commercial kitchen so what you see there is the cameras being really uptight and close it almost felt like a claustrophobic episode right yeah everybody's all on top of each other 
And it's from the moment Carmi walks into the restaurant after the opening credits, it's a single take. And they rehearsed that five, I think five times before they finally got it right. Um, and it just goes for 20 minutes straight. And what were your thoughts on this episode? Just seeing the chaos of all these tickets and the sound of that ticket machine just going the whole episode was, was, I mean, it, it made it more tense as, as the episode went on. What were your thoughts on that? Well, it, it, that's um, very real. I mean, that, that's, that's something that actually happens in kitchens um, when you have chaos like that. And um, as I was going through it, I felt like, um, as I was watching it, I really felt like, you know, um, it was real. I mean, it really could happen. And, and um, you know, that pre-order function, there's been times when we embrace new technology and um, it doesn't work the way we had, uh, you know, because we didn't tell it to work the way it needed to work. So um, it, it was, uh, again, well-written and well-acted um, because he really felt like it could, be, could have happened. Yeah, and the thing about this, I didn't realize, because I, I have the ad-supported version of Hulu, so I didn't realize this was a single take because I was getting commercial interruptions, right? So when I found out that it was a single take episode, I went back and rewatched it, and I actually subscribed to the ad-free version for just this one episode and, and watched it all the way through. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a fan of movies and if you're a fan of TV shows, if you can do something in a single shot, it's, it's just totally immersive and totally just watching everything happen and the skill of the camera operators and the actors hitting their spots in a single take is, is just remarkable. You know, I think of, I don't know if you ever watched daredevil on Netflix, but that the, the hallway fight scene in daredevil, it's like, I don't know, 10, almost 10 minutes. And it's a single shot of, of Matt Murdock fighting everybody. So it, it kind of gives you that same, very intense. I was I was very clenched. Like I was white knuckling that episode because I I wanted it. I kind of wanted it to end. I was like I, I if this was twenty minutes uh, yeah. in the in the life of a restaurant, I can't imagine what happened like after that for the if that happened for eight hours, right? Yeah. Eight hours straight of that ticket machine going nonstop, and then this is where Carmi kind of loses it and starts cussing everybody out and, and, and really that, uh, that abusive kind of upbringing that he had in, in his restaurant world comes to the surface, right? He's, he's, Marcus is working on this donut and he's screaming for rolls and, and Marcus comes up to him in a moment of vulnerability, right? And says, look, try this donut. I nailed it. I nailed this donut finally. And he smacked, Carmi smacks it out of his hand, lands on the floor Richie gets stabbed in the in the butt by Sydney yeah. on accident because everybody's just moving, just crazy. Sydney's cussing Carmi out. Everybody's just cussing everybody out, and it's just it's just chaos, right? Um, and the funniest scene is <laughs> when uh, Richie is getting his wound tended to, and he's like, "Tell me about the brigades. Tell me about the brigades." And the guy's trying to distract him from the pain. Ibrahim is trying to distract him from the the pain of the of the of the knife there. So. I, I've read some stories where, you know, this scene was, was pretty traumatic for some chefs to watch. I mean, do, do you feel, did you, did you kind of feel that tension? What's that? It's all in a day's work. <laughs> You're just so calm and collected. You're so funny. Yes. Oh, that's, that's nothing. That's just a day to life. Chefs 
chefs deal with that kind of stuff all the time. No matter how hard you plan, you it's how you handle when things don't go the way it's supposed to go that um, you know that makes it okay. And and you know it's the that whole episode was uh, to me felt like real because yeah. it, you're you're making decisions right away. You're trying to do and he and in that scene uh, he's calling for okay you do this you do that you and that's the way um, chefs have to do when they're under pressure you you kind of fall into this mode where you're telling people what to do so that you can get stuff done and um, you know of course the tickets ended up being more than anything they could handle more than anything they could uh, produce right but, um, you know, it, it's just that's that's the way it is. And then by the end of the episode, there's there's kind of two casualties. You have Marcus after getting the donut slapped out of his hand. He's like, I'm out. And then Sydney, she's, he's like, Are you okay, Chef? No, Chef, we are not okay. And then she quits. So he loses two chefs in this debacle, and you know has to has to change things quickly. So I, I thought, man, that was a that was probably the the single best episode of TV I've ever seen. And, yeah, and I, watched, I, I probably watched that episode like three times. Yeah. Me, yeah. Me too. Yeah. It was great. It was great. So, and it, it was also too all the tensions that have been building up for the first six episodes all came to a head and everybody kind of exploded on different people um, throughout episode, you know, episode seven, all the, all the things that were building up between various um, people within that core group came out you know Carmi's like Sydney I told you that dish wasn't ready and you served it anyway it's your fault that this review went out and now we're this and and I told you we weren't ready for to go and you you pushed it on me anyway and and Mark or uh, Richie is like I told you the system wouldn't work and now I'm stabbed in the butt <laughs> right so a, a lot of just tensions building up and it finally just hit release in this um in, in this 20 minute one shot episode. So I, I would suggest to anybody that is going to watch this show, if you have the ad supported version of Hulu, just for one night upgrade to the, <laughs> to the, uh, to no commercials, the ad free version, watch this episode, then go back to ad supported because you, you, you lose the significance of this episode. If you don't watch it as it was intended without breaks, um, you know, and it's a quick 20 minute episode. It's great. It's great. So we come to the final episode, the season finale uh, entitled Brijol, and uh, it opens up with Carmi in his Al-Anon meeting um, and his share. And you really finally now understand why he is doing the things that he's doing with this restaurant, right? He didn't understand, you know, why Michael wouldn't let him work at the restaurant growing up. So he took that as almost like an insult or, or as an insult, not like as an insult. And he said, well, I'm going to show you and I'm going to work at the best restaurants in the world for the next two years. And then Michael passes away and you kind of get his motivation for why he's doing what he's doing. And, and I thought that first, oh, that was a pretty long epilogue to, or monologue. I think that was oh, three, four minutes of Carmi just completely vulnerable and, and seeing what's happening and, and what's going on and why he's doing what he's doing. And it also opens up with, um, uh, this is the episode where he opens up on a, on a fake cooking show looks like. Uh, and, and you kind of see the fake cooking show. He's trying to, he's cooking Brajol, 
but everything starts disappearing and everything starts falling apart and the the crowd starts laughing and and then he he kind of wakes up from that nightmare right so it 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 shows where Carmi's head's at finally after eight episodes of his motivation of doing this um what did you what did you think of that his his Al-Anon monologue there at the beginning I think it you know that there are there are periods throughout because the whole series started with him in a dream like that mm-hmm. and, and then the second episode same thing he started out with a dream so it really was appropriate that they finished the first season with starting out with a dream too because it, it um it kind of told you the story without having to act out the story yeah. even though it did. <laughs> yeah yeah and and then Uncle Jimmy, uh, not seen in this episode, but has another quote unquote favor to ask of the guys, right? To host a bachelor party at the restaurant for one of Jimmy's friends to knock off some more of their uh, their debt to him. And this party just gets out of control, right? So the, it's a it's a bachelor bachelor party, and a fight breaks out. Richie punches a guy, and he hits the ground, and he's not moving. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Spends the night in Richie spends the night in jail. Um, and he's like, is he, is, is the guy dead? And the guy's like, nope, he woke up. He's not dead. So it's just aggravated assault for you. And he's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, um, again, it's one of those things where, you know, they hated to have to denigrate the restaurant to a bachelor party, but it's one of those things where you got to keep it afloat. Right. Um, and, and in this case it was to, to knock off some of uncle Jimmy's debt. What'd you think of that? Well, it's it's uh, it, for the storyline. It was appropriate, you know. Yeah. There's, there's uh, it, they, they do a lot of things with the storyline that um, that kind of build extra means that they can, um, you know, come back to later on. Yeah, and it, it's funny uh, when we come out of that scene is and. They're working in the kitchen now. They're, everybody's kind of back to where they should be. A fire breaks out in the kitchen, right? So Carmi is – something happens and a fire breaks out, and then he just stares into the fire for a minute. And the thought runs through his head, I could just let all this burn down. I can just let this all go and not do anything. And that, that kind of um, calls back to an episode where when, when the power outage happened and it was because of Marcus's mixer, his mixer – blew out the fuse box and, and took out the power and, you know, they're sitting outside and Mark is like, yeah, that was me. I messed up. And he goes, look, it's, it's, it happens. And, you know, things, things happen sometimes that a fire breaks out and you just kind of look at it and see if, is it worth it to, to stop this fire? And then it to come full circle on episode eight and to see that actually happening. And he does kind of stare at it. He kind of gets entranced by it. And then Richie comes in and goes, yo, what's going on? And then he finally takes, to the fire extinguisher to it i'm sure not in your career <laughs> but have you ever thought you know what uh I, I i i think i'm gonna let this all burn to the ground you know a lot of young chefs you know starting out i'm sure are thinking is this worth it is this worth it like have how, how often if you had to talk a chef off the ledge you know from that well the first of all the cleanup from that was probably disastrous if it really yeah. was life using the fire extinguishers, but, um, but yeah, you know, you, it's a daily thing for us. We're talking chefs out of, you know, you know, if, if, if it's a young chef that has talent, you know, keep with your guns, 
um, there have been times where I've had to be talked in, you know, to stay in it because the, um, you know, there are times where you feel underappreciated and then someone has to say, no, no, really, you're appreciated. Stick with it and, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing as it's the right thing. Yeah. And this episode, we finally figure out what's in the letter. And it was, what was interesting is just really short. It was the, the family spaghetti recipe, right? And uh, early, in an earlier episode, they talk about the spaghetti recipe being um, served in the restaurant. And they're like, people love the spaghetti, re- the spaghetti recipe. Well, we're not doing the spaghetti recipe. Yeah. And, and, and then to come to this episode, it's the, a note card with the, with the spaghetti recipe on it from Michael. And he says, use the smaller cans. They taste better. Right. Uh-huh. So that's, that's kind of like, I wonder what that means. So he goes to, and finally he, Carmi relents and he goes, you know what, I'm going to do family style. I'm going to do family dinner tonight and I'm going to do the spaghetti. Right. So he does the spaghetti. He opens up one of the bigger cans and something is in there and it's a wad of cash. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this is where, this is where the letter comes into play. And so he opens up another can and there's another wad of cash. And then they open up another can and another wad of cash comes out. So finally, after all this happens, so they get all the big cans and they start having this can opening party and they just find stacks of cash, right? I bet you wish that happened to you <laughs> from, time, <laughs> from time to time. Well, uh, you know, there's so, when that, with that scene, there's so much that you can read into it. And whether Uncle Jimmy knew about all that cash there or... Right. Um, you know, you know, there may be some family background that we don't know about. If, if, um, if Michael was the um, paternal figure in the family, I mean, you know, that may be something to do with the uh, the story development later on. That that you know, he was the guardian of all the cash. Right. So, yeah. So right before this, there's a scene with Sydney and Marcus eating at Sydney's place. And, you know, I think this is really the only scene where they show some, some, like a full cook happening, you know, and, and explaining the dish and stuff like that. And, uh, and they discuss whether they're going to go back after this, the events of episode seven, where they were just like, just degraded and belittled uh, throughout the whole uh, episode. And, and they talk about it and they, they decide to come back, right? Marcus comes back and says, um, and, and uh, Carmi says, you know what, I'm sorry. You know, this is where Carmi recognizes his behavior and says this was not okay. And he texts Sydney, and Sydney ends up coming back. And Sydney comes back, watching them go through this can opening sequence, right? And and they're like, jump in, just jump in. And as they're emptying the cans and finding all this cash, you know, Sid and Carmi talk, start talking restaurant design, right? They start talking like, how about some Dutch high tops or whatever they were, whatever they were talking about designing. So, you know, what you're saying, do question comes up, do they do they pay Uncle Jimmy back or do they open up their own restaurant? Like, what do they do with this cash, right? But we find out at the end that he closes the the Chicago uh, beef restaurant and then the bear and then puts up a sign, the bear is coming. Um, and that sets it up perfectly for season two. Um, yeah, so I thought overall, uh, and, and really that episode, especially after just the tense episode of season seven, just to come back to that and just kind of, release a breath right and and kind of watch everything happening um is great it is great so overall thoughts on the season are you are you looking forward to a season two absolutely i can't wait for season two if it were on now i would binge watch <laughs> but you know it's really going to be hard for them to 
put as much into, because I think, you know, I really think a lot of this, a lot of the um, drama, a lot of the, um, the interest may have come by accident. I know it's a good show, but I don't, I don't think it was supposed to get as much accolades as it got. Um, and I don't know how season two could ever top season one, but I'm going to, I, I'm definitely going to watch it. Like, wait to watch it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting cuz with Hulu, you know, they they don't drop all their episodes all at once. <laughs> they they but on this one, they dropped it all at once. So I don't know if they thought this was going to be as big of a hit as they thought it was going to be. Um but season 2 was announced and it was announced about a month after season 1's premiere. Um so we we don't know when yet that's coming out. Uh, but for sure, I'm going to be watching it and, and for sure, I'd love to have you back on and, and talk about it when it comes out, uh, <laughs> and kind of see, interesting to see where it goes. Like now that they're kind of gelling as a team, now they, uh, kind of made it through. Um, now we come to, comes the challenges of opening up what, what appears probably is going to be a, a more upscale kind of restaurant. Right. So all the challenges that that comes with, uh, should be interesting well, to watch. You know what they did say in one of this episodes that oh the neighborhood's changing it's that's it's right gentrifying, re, you know regentrifying and um so you you kind of get a glimpse um that's a big hint that they dropped for that uh for that show that right right so uh, at the end of each recap um i, I want to rate the shows on how many forks you want to give <laughs> uh, to to this uh, overall season on on a scale of of one to five forks you would give for this show. How many forks would you give? Four point eight. Four point eight. That's interesting. Four point eight. I, I would probably go. Oh man, I guess this is my first one. It's it's a high bar. I'm going to go five. I thought it was just a great. Uh, I, I'm going to give five forks. I have five forks to give, so I'm going to give them. Um, I thought it was a a great just. Um, season of TV, and, and I think in a in a binge watching kind of culture, right? Having it being thirty, maybe forty minutes, a, a real tight eight episodes um, to be able to watch quickly and and then talk about. I, the first thing I wanted to do when I got done watching the show is talk about it with somebody, right? So I'm really glad I found you to be able to talk over this with and, and just say how real was this? So um, I wanted merch. <laughs> Some some hats with the bear on it, and yeah, stuff like that. I was ready for merch, and you know it might be out there now, but um, you know they missed the Christmas season uh, by not right. merch out there. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think they'll have a problem with that now if they decided to do that for <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, I just thought it was just a well-written uh, eight-episode season. Uh, it just really tight thirty minutes. The guest stars were placed in the perfect spots in the show to really give breadth and depth to to Carmi as a character and how he came up um, and the family as a whole of how much Michael meant to everyone. Um, yeah, I just thought it was really great. I thought it was really great. So, uh, you know, that's it. I think we did it. I think we did it. I think we uh, we covered it pretty well there. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. I can't wait to talk about season two. Right. I know. So last thing, I want to give you the last word here. Um, 
tell tell people where they can find you uh, on socials and, and physical locations and kind of tell them what you're up to if you have any big projects coming up that you want to share or, or plug? Uh, well, Blue Bamboos in Jacksonville in a neighborhood called Mandarin. And uh, we just moved here uh, just shy of two years ago. We were in business over in the other side of town for uh, 16 years before we made our big move. And uh, we pretty much were able to build our dream restaurant right here um, in Mandarin. And uh, we, we feel really grateful that we're able to do that. The neighborhood loves us. So um, we teach cooking classes. We uh, Once a month, we have um, special events in the evenings, special events uh, on one Sunday a month. We'll serve uh, Asian tapas, dim sum. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're happy to be a part of the community. We support the community wherever we can, help out with events. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just uh, happy to be here. Awesome. So where can people find you on socials if they want to get involved in the cooking classes or when dim sum's happening? Yeah, on social, uh, on Instagram, we're at Blue Bamboo Jacksonville. And on Facebook, uh, same, Blue Bamboo Jacksonville. You'll find us across all um, all platforms. And then I also have a personal account, uh, which is um, Denny Chan Chef. So um, you, you can find me there too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. I, I thought this was a great premiere episode and I uh, appreciate your time. And I know you're a busy guy. Uh, so I will uh, let you go. People, thank you for uh, staying this long for each your content. Uh, give it us a, give us a rating. Give us a, a, I don't know how they rate it now, five stars and share it with your friends and family. So they will be easier to find for them. So thanks everyone. And tune in next time.